Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Star Trek, as you know, doesn't like to do things lightly. And in fact, I would go so far as to say any writer worth their salt should be giving you something more than just a surface level story. With that in mind, I'm Sean Ferrick for Trek Culture, and here are 10 Star Trek moments with a deeper meaning than you think. Number 10, The Death of Sarek, Unification Part 1. Now, to start with a nice cheerful one, we look to Mark Leonard's last appearance as Sarek in Star Trek. Now, this came in Star Trek The Next Generation in the two-parter Unification, which of course is probably most famous for bringing Leonard Nimoy onto The Next Generation. Introduced earlier in season three's Sarek, this Vulcan was suffering from a condition that was similar in a way to Parkinson's or Alzheimer's in that it was beginning to rob him of some of the control that he had over his body and some of his emotional controls as well. To watch this venerable Vulcan going through this, it was quite an upsetting path to take the character in, but there was a very definite reason behind this. Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry was going through something similar. His health was deteriorating fast, and as seasons three and four went on, he very much took a backseat when it came to actually being heavily involved in Star Trek. Now this was being represented on screen by the deterioration of Sarek, and Although it was a, a sad coincidence, the death of Sarek came as Gene Roddenberry died off screen as well, which was, I suppose, a bittersweet way of marking the passing of this creator of Star Trek by doing so by using this huge, huge character from Star Trek's history. Number nine, Yorktown Adrift, Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. As the cetacean probe makes its way through Federation space, every ship that comes into contact with it is neutralized. Now we see this in the USS Saratoga in the beginning, the Miranda-class vessel that loses all power, and the Captain Madge Sinclair, who was the first on-screen female captain in Star Trek, tries desperately to raise Starfleet to warn them. While Kirk and crew are on their way back to Earth in the Stolen Bird of Prey, over at Starfleet headquarters, Admiral Cartwright asks to raise the USS Yorktown on the screens. Now, the captain of the Yorktown tells them that they're in a pretty bad situation. They're trying to deploy a solar sail to keep them adrift, and it's all very serious and everything. And this would lean forward into Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, but the Yorktown 
was the original name for the USS Enterprise. In fact, when Gene Roddenberry originally pitched Star Trek to the studio, it was the SS Yorktown that Captain Robert April was commanding before that got changed over to Enterprise. The Yorktown was renamed the USS Enterprise A at the end of Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Introducing it here allows for a cyclical continuation of the combination of these two names. So while on screen we're sitting there going, oh wow, I hope this crew's gone. Really, this was just a way of going, actually, you know what? It's always been these two ships together seeing us through. Number eight, Picard informs the crew of Cito Jax's death, Lower Decks. Now again, with the nice bright and cheerful topics here, Lower Decks, the seventh season episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, is generally regarded to be among the best episodes of Star Trek overall. It was so good, in fact, that it would form the inspiration for the entire show of Star Trek Lower Decks, even though, of course, that takes everything in a much more comedic direction. Going back to the actual pitch of the episode itself, and it came from this idea that, you know, we needed to see what was going on on the rest of the ship. Now, Michael Piller originally was humming and hawing a little bit over Cedo Jax's fate. Once the script was written, he was very much, no, She's dead, and to bring her back, that would completely undermine the power of the episode. Jerry Taylor, producer at the time, actually suggested, you know, can we actually bring her back? Then he went and did the read-through and everything, and suddenly came back and said, whoa, 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 no, we've got to bring her back. We've got to, there's got to be a way that we get this woman back. And in fact, the information that Cito Jaxa has died on the way back to the ship was to set the scene for having her return in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. The fourth season episode of DS9, Hard Time, shows O'Brien returning from a virtual prison for where he's been for the last 20 years, or at least where he believes he's been for the last 20 years. That actually started its origins as the continuation of Cito Jax's story. So this moment, this incredibly heavy, grave moment, in Lower Decks was not just about kicking the audience straight in the stomach. It was about setting a hunger in the audience to see Cito Jaxa return. Number seven, James Tiberius Kirk, Star Trek VI, Star Trek the Animated Series at Al. Opening this is a bit of a funny one because we're gonna start with a moment that has no deeper meaning. And that is from the original second pilot where no man has gone before the headstone that says James R. Kirk. This was the first depiction of Kirk's middle initial, but it was always a mistake. Roddenberry decided very early on that if anyone picked up or questioned why the headstone said R instead of T, he would just say, ah, Gary Mitchell made a mistake. Because it had always been believed that James T. Kirk was gonna be Kirk's full name. The reason behind this was because the name itself was supposed to be a bit of a description of the different sides to this new captain. He was named for Tiberius Caesar Augustus, who was effectively a bit of a dark character, whereas Kirk was, you know, it was based on the Lowland Scots name for church. Two sides of saying, you have first of all this character who has been dictatorial, powerful, and didn't really want to relinquish power, but 
depending of course on who you ask, you have the symbol of the church, which is supposed to be something to look for, for support, for help and for guidance. This was a way of showing that this captain, while he's a good guy, was in fact always going to have the power to show both. It was only specifically decided to be set on screen in starting the animated series episode BAME and then of course spoken by the incomparable Christopher Plummer as Chang in Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country. Seriously, the way he delivers James Tiberius Kirk. That inflection, the way that's stated, that is very much like General Chang is looking at him going, I know where you're from and I know what you're about. Number six, Lieutenant Junior Grade Palmer at the Transporter Controls, Second Chances. The sixth season episode of The Next Generation Second Chances introduces Thomas Riker, who is Commander Riker's Transporter clone. He has been stuck down on the planet for seven years and, you know, he gets a bit of an out shock to the system when he discovers that he's not the only one, as of course does William T. Riker. That of course is the main plot of the episode, but Lieutenant Palmer is who we look to for this entry on this list. Lieutenant Palmer was played by Mae Jameson, and she is an incredibly important historical figure, contemporary figure. She is the first African-American female in space. She's an engineer, she's an astronaut, and she was also a close friend of Nichelle Nichols. Nichols even appeared on set to visit her while this episode was being filmed, which gives this idea of second chances a greater meaning. This is not just about Riker and Troy's shot at another relationship, which of course would be explored further in Star Trek Insurrection, Nemesis, and so on. Nichelle Nichols herself almost quit Star Trek after the first season. She was persuaded to stay by none other than Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. himself. She would of course then go on to stay with Star Trek right the way through up to Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Her impact on science fiction, on media in general, it's really hard to actually quantify just how great that is because it's enormous. In a way, her decision to stay was a second chance for the character, a second chance for the impact that that character would have on American television. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Number five, the Nightingale Woman poem where no man has gone before. In the second pilot of Star Trek, Gary Mitchell quotes a poem that he said was written by the poet Tarbold in 1996, one that he also says was considered one of the most passionate love sonnets of all time. My love has wings, slender feathered things, with grace in upswept curve and tapered tip. Now this beautiful love poem, as spoken by Gary Mitchell, was in fact not written in 1996, which would have been quite difficult to do, as this film was done in 1966. It was written by Gene Roddenberry about his plane. Roddenberry had been a pilot during the Second World War, and he wrote this about his own plane that he flew. It would go on to appear again in Star Trek many years later in the episode Little Green Men. It would sit, or at least the first line of it, would sit under a picture of Rita Hayworth on a calendar as Quark, Rom and Nog travel back into the past. Deeper in that it was speaking to some of Roddenberry's history. It's also, you know, a little bit self-indulgent. Number four, the photo of David, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. David Marcus first appeared as played by Merritt Buttrick in Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, where we discover, along with Kirk, that he is the adult son of Kirk and Dr. Carol Marcus. He would appear again in Star Trek III The Search for Spock, where he was brutally killed off by one of the Klingons on the planet Genesis. Now, this death served a dual purpose. One was Kirk had to suffer a loss for his actions. Disobeyed Starfleet and he couldn't come through that unscathed and so he had to lose his son in the process. Also, David was decided as the sacrificial lamb because of his use of proto-matter in the Genesis torpedo, which ends up destroying the planet itself. The death of David would have a lasting impact on Kirk. It's one of the key moments of his life, but Sadly, Merritt Buttrick would pass away not that long after this. He was one of the many, many, many victims of the AIDS crisis of the 80s and 90s. And he passed away before production began on Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country. This film deals with Kirk's relationship with the Klingons and as he places the photo of David on his nightstand, this was thematically a way to show why Kirk feels the way that he does about the Klingons, but this was also Star Trek's way of honouring this actor, this young man who had been so important in the story of Kirk, but had been such a pleasant, upbeat and fun addition to Star Trek 2, Star Trek 3 and the episode of The Next Generation, Symbiosis, where he appeared as Tijan. Gone way too soon, it was as nice a way to honor him as I think that they could have done. Number three, Tasha talks to Wesley about drugs, Symbiosis. Now, funnily enough, leading into the episode that featured Merritt Buttrick, but for a completely unrelated reason, 
The episode Symbiosis was a clunky effort to show the power that drugs can have over people. Wesley Crusher, he's sort of the eyes of innocence in this episode, and in many ways he had been created as a sort of a analogy for a younger Roddenberry himself. Bluntly straightforward when he says he doesn't understand how people can be addicted to drugs. There is a very interesting conversation that has since gone on to be heavily reviled and it's the conversation between Tasha Yar and Wesley Crusher about the effect of drugs on people. There are some excellent moments in this discussion, however, where it came from has been heavily criticised. First of all, you have the conversation itself where Tasha, who is a very capable, she is a very professional and she's a very level-headed member of the Enterprise crew, she tells Wesley, drugs can make you feel good. She also goes on to explain how, you know, the path to becoming addicted to drugs is not always straightforward. And the planet on which she grew up on was riddled with problems. It was a failed Federation planet. Lots of people sought drugs as a way to escape their situation. That itself is quite a good explanation that it's not always straightforward as to why people end up addicted. The problem is where it came from. The Reagan administration, and specifically Nancy Reagan, had been part of a campaign that was called Just Say No. And during the 80s and 90s, this was aimed at encouraging young people to just not try drugs. Sounds great in theory, but Tasha explains why that is not a feasible and not a realistic approach. And yet, you have these two ideas mashed together. Because Wesley then goes, you know, oh, I, I just don't understand. And Tasha almost sort of laughs and goes, oh, I hope you never do, as if it's the lightest thing in the world. So that is what has led to this, this moment being quite reviled. And understandably, I would argue that there's a lot of good in that speech. But considering where it came from and what it was attached to, that good message has been lost in the incredibly simplistic campaign that historically cannot be really shown to have had quite an impact against addiction in America in the 80s and 90s. Number two, to Paul's diagnosis, stigma. By now, People are probably familiar with the idea of David Gerald's script, Blood and Fire, which was written for the next generation and was supposed to tackle the AIDS crisis of the 80s head on in a Star Trek setting. There was a lot of back and forth and quite frankly, a lot of less than wonderful moments that went into this script effectively being blacklisted. It was thrown out. Leonard Maislish, Gene Roddenberry's lawyer was very much not keen to have this produced. There was a lot of very nasty things said between himself and Gerald, which led to Gerald leaving Star Trek as a production. That could have been the end of it, but years later on Enterprise, while the script itself was not revisited, it was seen that the time was right to actually talk about the AIDS crisis, but as always, to do it in a Star Trek setting. T'Pol is the victim of a forced mind meld from another group of Vulcans. Now this leaves her contracting 
an illness that is said to be degenerative, but also because at the time in Star Trek chronology, mind melds were seen to be, you know, a very stigmatized, a very, you know, we don't want to talk about that side of Vulcan society. It would lead to her losing her commission, potentially to being imprisoned. In the episode Stigma, while Dr. Flox is well aware of her condition, he's doing his best to manage it as best he can, some Vulcan scientists become aware of what's going on, which leads to T'Pol facing some very uncomfortable questions from the Vulcan Science Academy. It takes the reveal that she was forced into this mind meld to actually effectively get her off the hook. But this entire storyline was meant to show frankly how unfair it was that people face this kind of scrutiny and criticism over something that was quite frankly nobody's fault. Uncomfortable viewing, it was quite well handled, it was a long time coming, it was very very late in Star Trek's life, criticism where criticism is due, but it was finally an effort to address this enormous catastrophe that have affected so many people on Earth. Number one, I Love Lucy is on Carbon Creek. Carbon Creek is one of my personal favorite episodes of Star Trek Enterprise for several reasons. One is it's always fun to see, you know, Star Trek races completely out of their depth. And here you've got Tamir, Mistral and Strawn, three very Vulcan Vulcans rocking around Carbon Creek, which is a small, small town based around a coal mining in the 1950s in America. Mistral quickly becomes adapted to life in Carbon Creek to the point of he gets quite hooked on television and specifically a show called I Love Lucy. He is horrified when there is a suggestion that he wouldn't be able to watch the episode this week and I completely understand his horror because you've got to watch I Love Lucy because Lucille Ball deserves your respect. Lucille Ball along with her husband, Desi Arnaz, are those most directly responsible for getting Star Trek the green light in the beginning. Quite frankly, they are the matron and patron of Star Trek. Mistral saying, I love Lucy is on, is a reminder to the audience in 2001, 2002, many of whom would not have been born at the time that Desilu Studios was a thing, that no, there were these names in Star Trek that were hugely important and should not be forgotten. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, 
Movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.